From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature, real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Caroline Ballard. In this episode, we'll hear about two young women who escaped slavery in the 1800s and walked a long way to freedom. We'll also hear about the man who learned their story 150 years later and brought it to life in his own journey. Barry Jurgensen first read about Celia and Eliza when he was in grad school. They were enslaved by a man named Stephen Knuckles. They had been with the Knuckles family ever since they were born. And we do know that eventually, from Virginia, Eliza and Celia accompanied the Knuckles family to the territory of Nebraska. It is believed by a few historians that the two girls were possibly used for sex by Stephen Knuckles. It did happen during those antebellum years where slaveholders abused their slaves sexually. While in Nebraska City, where they ended up settling, the two girls met a man named John Williamson. And John Williamson was part black, part Indian, either Choctaw or Cherokee. And he told them that he was there to help. And if they wanted his help, he would help them gain their freedom. And so they took him up on it. And on Thanksgiving night in 1858, they, with the help of John Williamson, crossed the Missouri River on their way to freedom. Celia was 14 and Eliza was 16 years old. And they made a journey, the two girls from Nebraska City, they traveled all across Iowa with the help of people on the Underground Railroad and made their way to Chicago. Seems like a pretty big decision for a couple of teenagers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the most important element of the Underground Railroad is the men and women who were enslaved that made that courageous choice to break away from what they knew and to know that they should be treated differently and they should be free. Celia and Eliza's bravery stuck with Barry through a job with the Park Service and even when he became a middle school and high school history teacher. I have an honors history class that I teach. It's a dual credit course. They receive college credit. And we do this huge research project where we help the National Park Service identify, preserve, and nominate historic sites associated with the Underground Railroad. It was during all of these conferences that I was presenting at, there was an exhibit on modern-day slavery. And then I saw that the average age of a young girl or boy forced into modern-day slavery, which many call human trafficking today, is 13 years old. And in the United States, the main form of slavery that we see today is, is sexual slavery. And I automatically thought of Eliza and Celia when I saw this exhibit. Barry had an idea to somehow symbolically connect Celia and Eliza's story with modern-day slavery. He wanted to bring awareness to human trafficking and raise money for an organization that fights it, and also bring history alive for his students. He decided it was time to do something he'd been toying with since he'd learned about Celia and Eliza. Follow in their footsteps, all 500 miles from Nebraska City to Chicago. Up until now, he'd hesitated to go on this walk. I was just really nervous about getting hit by a car. If something bad would have happened to me, it would have been so hard to 
lose my children and, and my wife. They're my world. And But in the end, I just told myself that all the people that that I've researched and I've studied on the Underground Railroad, they all made tremendous sacrifices themselves. And anybody that was any type of activist sacrificed something. I wanted to be like them. It felt wrong not to do it. And with the permission of my wife, <laughs> we talked about why I was doing it. She completely understood and was supportive of it. So Barry pitched the idea to his students. We had a school assembly right around Frederick Douglass's birthday. And, you know, I told the assembly what my thoughts were about human trafficking and its connection to historic slavery, but also that if good people never do anything about an injustice, then that injustice will just keep growing and will keep affecting other people. It's our duty as citizens to do something. So a few students volunteered to walk with Barry, some for just a few hours and some for almost the whole trip. Three committed to sticking with Barry through most of the walk. The youngest girl was Tierra Krivilovic, and she is a junior in high school now. Her sister, Tamisha Krivilovic, had just graduated high school, and then Austin Harms had just graduated high school. And I had been teaching these three students ever since they were in seventh grade. Those three are just an amazing example of what students are capable of doing. Why did those three students join on? I believe that Tamisha and Tierra, who are both African-American, they really related to it. And they always really liked, even in my eighth grade class where I taught them about Underground Railroad, I think they're extremely enthused and interested in the topic. So I think that kind of compelled them to do the walk. But also I think they wanted to do something, and they wanted to do as much as they could. Austin... He has actually enlisted with the Marines, and he partially wanted to do it to kind of help him prepare for boot camp. But in the end, he realized that, you know, as a Marine, you're fighting for our freedoms. I think he realized that there are so many people in this country that fall victim to slavery, and they lose those freedoms. And it was like it was helping him prepare for that fight. Barry and the students got organized with help from the school community. For months, they advertised and planned. Finally, the June 2016 day came to start the long walk. The walkers and their supporters gathered in Nebraska City, where Celia and Eliza had been enslaved, just across the Missouri River from Iowa. My mother was there, and three of my seventh grade students, who were all girls, they showed up as well to walk just a quarter of the day. And a few other friends were setting out and it was all fun. We're all joking and we're walking down the streets of Nebraska City, talking about the story of Celia and Eliza. And then we get to the Missouri River. We're getting on a very busy highway. Cars just zooming past and we're supposed to get across this bridge. And just on the other side, you see trees, you see kind of a marshy area in nature out across the Missouri River and farm ground. And it was like, okay, we got to get through this first obstacle here. We got to not get hit by a vehicle. And there were a few people that actually followed us with their hazard lights on to slow the people down behind us. We were going with traffic across the bridge. 
And about halfway across this fairly long bridge, across the Missouri River, a semi-truck about took us out, took all of us out. Right then and there, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm putting other people's lives in danger because of this idea I had. And it made me kind of question what I was doing at that point. But we, we kept going and we got across. And, you know, as soon as we got across, it was, it was actually really amazing because we could see all sorts of wildlife on the banks of the Missouri River on the Iowa side. And we were by ourselves. We weren't in a town anymore. We were in the country. And it was like, it was just one of the coolest feelings. The Missouri River, which is also known as the Big Muddy, is, uh, oh, I'm not quite sure how wide it was, I bet about a quarter of a mile wide. Standing on the bank of that river and thinking about crossing it, that was formidable. That was, that was kind of eye-opening because that river, it moves pretty fast at times. And that river is, to me, it's a big part of Celia and Eliza's escape. that river, something that looks so difficult, so scary, so intimidating. And they cross that river into a land of hope for their future. Celia and Eliza had to have been scared at the get-go because uh, right as soon as they crossed the Missouri the day after, Stephen Knuckles was right behind him with a posse. He ended up beating up several people in a place called Civil Bend, Iowa, and nearly lynching two free black men. And he followed them for, uh, for a few days. And so they had to have heard that he was right behind him. And I, I can't imagine what that would have felt like. But also, you know, these two young girls had never been to Iowa or Illinois before. And if they were by themselves, they could have walked up to a person that, that had pro-slavery sentiments and that would have returned them for the reward that Knuckles was asking. So they had no idea who to trust and who to fear. I'm sure Celia and Eliza questioned their faith in humanity and studying so much history on my part, I, at the beginning of this walk, I definitely questioned humanity and kind of lost faith in humanity doing the right thing. But on both of our walks, we actually saw the best in humanity. That day was one of the longest walks. It was about 26 miles. We were all carrying packs with camelbacks in them and extra water and, you know, an extra pair of shoes because this was our first day and we wanted to see which pair of shoes was going to be best. We got to visit a, a cemetery, actually, in Civil Bend, the town that was implicated with the Celia and Eliza escape. And we visited the graves of many people that helped them. 
and the town no longer exists, but we were in the place. We were there where all of that happened, where Celia and Eliza went through. And that was pretty amazing to be there and to be in the presence of some of the people that were buried there that helped Celia and Eliza escape. We then, after about, oh, 17 miles of walking, everybody had blisters. Everybody was really sore. And we were like, oh my gosh, we have like 10 more miles left. How are we going to do this? And all of a sudden, a, a wagon, a horse-drawn wagon pulls up and said, hey, I heard you guys are walking through here. And you wanted to assimilate, you know, what the two girls went through. And they actually got a ride on a horse and carriage part of the way from Civil Bend to Tabor, Iowa, which was our destination. And we jumped in there and we thought that was going to be amazing. It was amazing. And uh, the driver was amazing. His name was Richard. And I got to know him. But as soon as that ride was over, we got into Tabor. I was the sorest I had ever been because I realized that wagon does not have shocks. And <laughs> I could barely walk that night. I, 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 had a hard time, I had a hard time just laying down. I had to have someone hold my hands while I kind of fell back. <laughs> uh, we slept at a bed and breakfast that night. Somebody put us up at a bed and breakfast and holy moly, it was, it was another kind of pain. <laughs> I actually presented to the people of Tabor. A few people came to hear me talk, and actually I spoke and presented at a majority of the towns that we stayed at. That really got me more connected with the abolitionists that would have walked from town to town, and they would have gave speeches, presentations at, in schoolhouses, churches, you know, city halls, all different sorts of places, trying to convince people that slavery was evil and that it should be abolished. And I really kind of made that connection that, man, those, those men and women were tough. <laughs> this was going to be a long, arduous journey. The group continued. Barry says sometimes people they met along the way hosted them at their houses, and sometimes they camped. Every morning when we woke up, we thought, what was going to be the cool thing that we're going to see today? Who are we going to meet? What's the next town going to be like that we're going to stay? You know, is someone going to offer their home to us, allow us to stay with them, help do our laundry? You know, you think, man, if somebody talks to me, am I going to smell really bad? <laughs> I just remember the smell of sunscreen and beef jerky, actually. I had a lot of beef jerky along the way. I had sunscreen on my fingers a lot when I ate, and so that always kind of mixed in with my food. We had a Facebook page called Walk Forever Free. There were some negative comments. Especially, there, there's just one that kind of sticks out to me. I took a video. I just used my smartphone the whole way. I was taking a video like you would a selfie, and one of the girls was walking behind me, and then Austin was behind her, and I, I captured all of us walking together. And all of a sudden, I got tons of criticism um, for that video because it appeared like... I was simulating her master and she was a slave because she was walking behind me. 
and it looked like she was being contained by two white guys, and that was totally not what it was supposed to come. It was come out like it was supposed to be like, hey, we're we're walking the the journey of Celia and Eliza, and we're bringing awareness about modern day slavery, but people still took offense to it. It really the whole experience opened my eyes, and I'm glad that Tierra and Tamisha were with me. Um, they were just awesome. I mean, they woke up with smiles every single morning. They were always upbeat and ready to rock and roll. The only thing I regret is that those two girls were somewhat berated with negative comments about the walk. But that did open my eyes to the reality of the state of our country. I had a talk with the girls about that in, in Austin because I think they were all kind of, they were pretty fired up and angry. You know, I try to tell them it's when someone puts out that much hatred towards you, the wrong thing is to return that hatred with hatred. You have to have compassion for that person and understand where that person came from. I mean, what their history was. Something must have happened to them to formulate their opinion. Compassion is what we as a society need to go back to, to heal all this division. And we were talking about that already on our walk. And so they wanted to reply and have a whole, I don't know, back and forth kind of argument. And I said, no, we can't do that. This whole thing is about compassion. And that's the only way the two girls made it. And that's the only way we're going to make it. And it's the only way that our country is going to make it is, is through compassion and truly understanding one another. Toward the end of the trip, all of Barry's students had to go home, so he kept going by himself. He was walking down the road on his way to Ashton, Illinois. I was supposed to go to a park where I was going to camp out, or a man, a friend of mine was going to pick me up and I was going to stay at his house. I get to the town, I start walking to the park, and I tell myself, oh boy, this is Sunday. I really hope there isn't a family there trying to have a picnic. And then they see this bearded guy with a pack and big hat on. And they're, they're going to think right away, like, oh my gosh, like a hobo. or Not that hobos are bad, but they get scared or make judgments. And I was just really fearing that. And then I get into the park, and here there's a huge family having a big picnic in the shelter. And I'm like, oh no. I, I don't want to mess up their day. And so I I just started walking over to an open area where I was going to sit down and eat my lunch. And all of a sudden I hear a guy yell over, hey, you want something to eat? And I'm like, oh, wait, are they talking to me? And and I go, what, what was that? And he repeated it. And I said, if you're willing, yeah, I'll come over and have a bite. I might smell a little. And so I went over, and, uh, I mean, people got me a plate, and they just started throwing food on my plate. It was just, it was amazing. I mean, I ate so well that day. It was just ridiculous. And I sat down, and I talked with that family, and I got a big group picture with them. They were just amazing. And once they found out my story, it was they were so excited. The next day... 
I was uh, leaving that town. And about a uh, half mile into the walk, I'm in the highway outside of town, and I see this this truck drive by me. And he pulls into this little driveway that goes into the, an empty cornfield. And I'm like, oh, no, he's getting out. What's going to happen here? And it turns out it was the man that offered me food the previous day. His name was Tom. And uh, he comes out, and he shakes my hand. He goes, hey, I was hoping to catch you before you left town. He goes, and it's ironic that I caught you here because he pointed over at the cornfield that he parked next to, and he said, this was my mom's farm, and over there is where I, where I grew up. And today's my mom's birthday, but she also had passed away a year ago that day. And um, he told me about how his mom had cancer and she uh, suffered, you know, she struggled with that for a pretty long time and he was with her. He was with her the whole time, right next to her. And when it was getting towards the end, they knew she was, was going to die. She wanted to give Tom some money. She wanted to give him something. You know, the last couple of days she was alive, she slipped a $100 bill into his hand. And Tom said, no, 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 Mom, I don't want this. And his mom says, I know, but you'll know you can use this and you'll know when. And he had kept that $100 bill in his wallet that ever since. And he broke down and I broke down and I couldn't believe that was happening. And, and then all of a sudden he opened his wallet and he pulled out the $100 bill and he said, this is the $100 bill. And he had it all folded up and he had it in a, a little space in his wallet because he had never parted from it. He always kept it in his wallet waiting for that time when he would need it, like his mom said. And he goes, I finally realized where this $100 bill is going to go. It's going to go to you. It just didn't seem real. The whole story, it just, it was crazy. It was almost fate that I walked through that town to that park. And I met Tom and his family. And it was by far one of the more overwhelming events that I experienced in, on the walk. Once in Chicago, we don't really know what happened to Celia, but we do know that Eliza, who would have been about 18 years old, in 1860 was working at a brothel in Chicago. And unfortunately, Stephen Knuckles was still looking for the two girls after they had escaped two years earlier and had found out that Eliza was working in the brothel. And so he traveled all the way to Chicago to capture her and return her to slavery under the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. And he found someone to help him in Chicago. They had her arrested, and she was locked up in an armory in downtown Chicago. And 
The amazing part about this part of the story is that the people of Chicago, the free black population, and several white people worked together to help her escape again. And she disappears. We don't really know what happened to her. Most assume that she went to Canada from Chicago. On July 3rd, 2016, after a journey of over 500 miles, Barry walked into Chicago. I was accompanied by two men, Robert Benz and Kenneth Morris Jr., who are co-creators of the foundation we were raising money for, the Frederick Douglass Family Initiative. And they had been walking with me for the previous two days. And we were in Chicago, West Chicago. Our route was taking us through a pretty rough neighborhood, we were told. I had never been to Chicago. And we were warned that a lot of the shootings that had been taking place that summer, this past June, were happening in that that route that we were taking through Chicago. And I'm not going to lie, I was getting kind of nervous. Kenneth, who is African-American, Robert was white, and they have been working to fight human trafficking for a long time. They've been in a lot of bad neighborhoods. And they said something that was really eye-opening to me. And they said, Barry, we're not going to go around. We're going to go through it. We're going we're gonna to go through it. Because if you submit to what the media says about neighborhoods, they are talking about a few people that are committing these crimes. But they're not talking about all the other people that live there that just want to live their lives and are, are good people. They said, never, never give in to that. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, it completely energized me. And we walked through that neighborhood. It was in the morning. We had people saying, God bless you and good morning. And we talked to several people. It was, it was a great time. It was a great time. We started to get closer and closer to downtown Chicago. I saw the skyscrapers for the first time. I was excited, but I was also a little depressed. I was like, kind of want to keep going. I want to keep talking to people and keep working at this. And I felt like I hadn't done enough yet. I was pretty down on myself, and, you know, I should have been excited, but I couldn't help it. I was I was pretty depressed, but we got to the end. We officially stopped at the place where Eliza achieved her freedom for the second time there in downtown Chicago, and then we went to a little ceremony that the Frederick Douglass Family Initiative put on, and once I was walking to the church where the ceremony was going to be held, my little daughter saw me. She was outside, and she like saw me and she started running to me and I was like oh my gosh this is a Kodak moment <laughs> I wish I could tape this but it was just one of those moments that's going to stick in my head and I was like okay I'm I'm happy that the walk's over and my two-year-old daughter ran into my arms and I could finally say I was I was done. Celia and Eliza although their stories may seem small to people they're part of the reason why we have so much freedom today. I think that's what some people forget is they think Abraham Lincoln is the reason why we have so many freedoms or people in politics are the reason why we have so many freedoms. But it's really the the little people that suffered hardships and went through so much to me are, are more important. 
And it's also a, a story of a multiracial network of men and women that helped them escape and achieve their freedom. The big thing that I really try to push today is we have to replicate history where it's going to take a multiracial network of men and women to stop modern-day slavery. And the moon shall be free. I done told you you shall be free. I said it. You shall be free. Where the good Lord tells you free. What did you use that $100 bill that Tom gave you for? I still have not used it. It's in my wallet in a special compartment, <laughs> just like Tom had it. And I'm waiting for a time where I'm going to use it to to directly help someone else. But I want to make sure that I I use it for something that if I knew Tom's mom, I want to make her happy. You know, she's proud of what Tom did, and I want to make it worth something. I want to make her proud of where that money has gone as well. So I wanted to give it to the Frederick Douglass Initiative, uh, but they said, nope, that's for you to figure out, and you need to do something else with it. So I'm waiting to figure out what else I can do with that. Storyteller was Barry Jurgensen. He and his three students, and another teacher who helped organize the walk, were awarded the Frederick Douglass Human Rights Award from the Frederick Douglass Family Initiatives. You can find out more about that organization at their website, fdfi.org. Barry says he's planning another walk to bring awareness to human trafficking. I'm Caroline Ballard. The show is produced by Aaron Jones, Anna Rader, and Micah Schweitzer. Our theme song is by Kant a Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. Next time, we'll hear another story of a journey from captivity to freedom, this time on Four Legs. Listen for that story on April 19th. It's human nature.